the way that we do it now, uh, that since the last episode is I say welcome to Mincast Podcast, blah, 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 blah. And instead of me introducing you saying, you know, hey, Josh, whatever, uh, you introduce yourself by just saying. Just flip, flip, flipping file systems, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> just flip, flip, flipping file systems, <laughs> Josh. Podcast, blah, 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 blah. You know, me and newly protected by WireGuard, I'm Leo, right? right? <laughs> gotcha. I'm, ar- I'm already proxing your mocks down here, so <laughs> don't don't say proxes your mocks. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Just flipping file systems, (laughs) Josh. (laughs) With fresh back pain, here's Joe. And newly protected by WireGuard, I'm Leo. I was almost laughing too hard to say that. (laughs) This is episode 366.5, recorded on Sunday the 25th, 2021. Wait, July 25th, that. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. In our innards section, we talk open VPN, WireGuard, and staying safe online. And finally, the feedback and a couple community choices. with me as we deep dive into VPN stuff. Lots and lots and lots of VPN stuff. I've got a story for you. So at the beginning of um, my interest in VPNs, um, it was OpenVPN. That was your only choice, really. I mean, in the Linux world, that was it, right? Uh, So I had to hand configure everything, and it was a nightmare. It was so many configuration lines that you had to get just right every single time to make things work. I hated it, Um, but I used it, and it was fine, but it wasn't extremely portable. You had to set everything up. If you had a new client, you had to go through the whole rigmarole all over again, and then, and then, but wait. I disagree. uh, It ain't easy, man, and if you want to, I mean... Seriously, if you Look, wanted to set up a new user. All client file, and as long as it's just you using your VPN. But I had four, four devices. Four devices, you can still use the same client file and the same username and password. Yeah, but security-wise, I wanted, I wanted individual connections. Uh, individual. Well, see, uh, then the, you're making your own difficulty there. I'm, but, but yeah, yeah, because security is not protect easy, himself, though. man. Well, that's it, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I wanted to have individual statistics. I wanted to know everything from every individual device so that I could figure stuff out, right? Well, inter. Well, well, you're making it more difficult, then. I mean, yes. I have, I'm not, I, I do not deny that I made it harder than it needed to be. But I wanted the the security and I wanted the visibility into, you know, everything that was going on. That was the biggest point about a VPN. Look, I mean, if, if, if I wanted to... something happens to one of your devices and it gets compromised and you lose that original client VPN file, then you just make a new client VPN file, share it with all the devices yeah. and redo it all over again. How difficult is... Seriously, man. Like, you had to... Uh, so, 
in in my instance, it would be create a new OVPN file, move it over to the one device, and then I'm done. And the other three devices are just fine. I don't have to log on to them. I don't have to worry about them. I don't have to document whether or not I have configured them or any of that stuff. So it doesn't matter where you are on this one. There's going to be workload, either front-loaded, which is what I did, or back-loaded, which is what you're talking about. I, I think it, it overall, it doesn't matter because I've solved the issue, right? Well, PyVPN solved the issue. Creating new profiles, exporting the OVPN file, easy. It is dead easy. Folks that don't even know how difficult OVPN is to configure could easily figure out PyVPN with a little bit of help in our Telegram group or something like that. It is simple to do. And that's what I did for the longest time. And I had an OVPN file specific to each device that I was putting it on. I had individual statistics. I had all that stuff. So it was fantastic. Uh, PyVPN also has its own command line utility that uh, that creates, uh, disables all of that stuff, all of these um, all of these VPN profiles. So that, I think, uh, I, I felt confident enough to where I could just not think about it anymore. So PyVPN really simplified everything. But for a long time, I had heard on different shows, I had seen in Telegram channels, Discord channels, all that stuff where everybody's talking about, ooh, WireGuard. And then you saw Linus himself on the mailing list. Well, b- before you jump face first into that, I, mm. I got a quick mm. question about your Pi VPN setup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, but um, is that set up on a Pi or do you have it set up in an image at, of a Pi? At first, it was on a Pi. And then I decided I don't want this on a Pi. I want it to be slightly more portable and easier to back up. So I just implemented it on an Ubuntu VM. So it works no matter which way you do it. Uh, the performance, oh, that was it. That was another reason. The performance was going to be higher because I'm putting this on an i5, right, versus that little uh, Pi 2B, B2, whatever, second-gen Pi on a B-plus uh, CPU. So um I think that was the biggest thing, right? So performance and then um, portability. Those are the two things. Because I wanted to be able to back up the VM, have a copy of it, and re-implement it if things blew up for some reason. And then they ended up blowing up. So being able to re-implement that was super nice. So um, Linus, back in 2018, and this is when I first caught wind of it because everybody everybody went crazy over this. This is when everybody was talking about it. Um, said... By the way, on an unrelated issue, I see that Jason actually made the pull request to have WireGuard included in the kernel. Can I just once again state my love for it and hope it gets merged soon? Maybe the code isn't perfect, but I've skimmed it and compared to the horrors that are OpenVPN and IPsec, it's a work of art. So that is a catalyst to get everybody talking about it. And then WireGuard makes leaps and bounds as far as performance and security goes. And so it's on my radar now, and I need it. But uh, about a year ago, I'm pretty sure on this show, I said, oh, I'm totally going to do that WireGuard thing. And then I never did. And so we, we're talking about, you know, what we want to do a, a VPN show. And I'm like, well, I've been meaning to do WireGuard forever. I feel like it's going to be really hard to set up. That's the other thing. WireGuard was slightly more difficult to set up than PyVPN, but infinitely better as far as configuration goes. So the thing about WireGuard is the way that you set these up. So after you install WireGuard, which is literally apt install WireGuard, um, you go into the configuration, which is Etsy WireGuard, and then you name it whatever you want, but you have to remember the name because you have to call it by that. Uh, I think I named mine like WGO.conf or something, but um, is that the difficulty in adding new people is the same difficulty 
as adding SSH keys to a server. If you can handle that, if you can SSH-keygen and then pop the, the key onto the onto the server, your public key onto the server, and then you know do that whole jazz, you can manage WireGuard. It is that's that's as difficult as it gets. Um, everything else, there's like a gajillion write-ups on the internet about how to set it up, what um, what IP tables rule to to put in. I mean, you don't even have to think about it, really. And then one change in uh, syscontrol.conf, I think, is the other thing, which is you have to allow um, what is it, NAT routing or something like that, uh, so that you can route from your WireGuard machine to the rest of your network, the the masquerading. So, but all of that is already documented in a million places. So there's really not a whole lot that you have to dig up for yourself. You could almost, and I say this because my security radar is like pinging off, um, you know, copy and paste everything from anybody's blog and it would work just fine. So so do you do this internally in your own network? Y- yes. So, so the, okay. and, and that's, that's one thing I was going to get into. I totally forgot, um, which is the style of VPN that I use is the Road Warrior style. I mean, I'm logging into my network from other places. So that right. I have encryption to my house, and then and then all the traffic leaves from my house. So uh, anywhere I'm connected to, they are none the wiser. They just see traffic, and then from my house, that's when. Uh, so, not not to get too far into the weeds. Lots of benefits to that. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, but not to get too far into the weeds with that. But uh, how do you does do you have to worry about your uh, public IP address with that, or yeah. can you just log right into your system? If you know the public IP address, I mean, you can change it. Literally, all you got to do is change it from the okay. WireGuard client. If your IP address changes because you're you know, on a rotating IP address or something like that. But right. if you know what dynamic DNS is, you handle it that way. So Okay, so you can handle it with dynamic DNS. Oh, yeah. That's what I have yes. been doing forever with my network to log into it. And, yep. and it, it works great. So you can use um, your your already existing DNS name for WireGuard right. the address. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and and one other question I have with it is what is the difference between using WireGuard and just SSHing into your system cuz they're both encrypted, right? Well, okay. Yeah. SSHing into your system gives you like one small narrow window where okay. you're into your system. Right. While OpenVPN or WireGuard, your whole system, anything you do is going through that. Okay. Now, there are ways that you can route your traffic through your SSH right. connection. Right, that's what I was going to say. Even, even, but it gets complicated yep. and annoying to set all that up. Or even um, set it up just so that you're uh, passing a port through SSH, like, port 80 for example okay so then it looks like all of your traffic from your web pages is going through your home network okay. i've done that before with um networks that block uh vpns right. so so yeah so that would be an advantage to using like okay i'll just bring a proxmox again because they have a web user interface so you could log into your web user interface through that wire guard tunnel, yep. and then you'd be totally encrypted. You wouldn't have to worry about HTTPS or anything like that. Right. You do not have to expose any of your devices to the okay. internet. The only thing internet facing is WireGuard. And that that's, that's requires, a huge advantage. Yeah. And that requires, I mean, a key the size of an SSH key. It's not like anybody's right. going to be able to go crack that. So yeah. you're you're beautiful. And then on top of that, not only do you have to have the key, you have to actually have knowledge of the correct IP address assigned right. to your device before you can even start communicating on the network. So 
there's multiple layers of security baked into WireGuard, and it, it's it's beautiful. You can go further, and you can say, "Here's here's the um, the device ID or something like that." So you you can you can really take that even further. So hmm. you can Are you do using you, go ahead IFTTT to do your automatic connection. No, I mean the no. only the only device I have right now because I don't go anywhere except for to drive here, right. drive there, um, pick up some groceries or whatever, is my my phone. And that, uh, I just downloaded the WireGuard app. Yeah, that's and super nice. And when you nice. want it, I, I have flip. looked into that, yeah. So my favorite thing, here's the thing, right? You can set up in the app, the moment you drop off Wi-Fi, the VPN enables. The hmm. moment you come back and hop back on Wi-Fi, the VPN disables. No. So for is weird that that's any cool. Wi-Fi or is that uh, your home Wi-Fi? Just home. I think you can go in and configure it for the SSID. But uh, right now, it's just if I'm on Wi-Fi, I like, am uh, not on a VPN. If I'm on you know, LTE, then I am on a VPN. And in this case, what I would do is just not join anybody's Wi-Fi. That right, way, yeah, I don't yeah. have to think about well, it. I, I need to get something similar set up so that way whenever I'm not on my home Wi-Fi, it automatically connects to my VPN or WireGuard because I just checked and PIA does have an implementation of WireGuard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. But yep. um, I, I occasionally, like when I'm at the gym or something, I'll connect to the Spectrum Wi-Fi there. And so if I leave the and when I connect to it, I automatically turn on my uh, VPN. But if I forget to turn off my Wi-Fi when I leave the house, then I show up at the gym. It's going to automatically connect to the Wi-Fi. Do you have an Android phone? I do. Have you ever used Tasker? Um, Yes. And um, I've used Tasker in conjunction with IFTTT as well. So I do need to get back into that, though. It's been a little while since I've done it. What I do as far as the Wi-Fi goes is I, I tell Tasker that... If I'm connected to the cell tower by my house, turn the Wi-Fi on. If I'm not connected to the cell tower by my house, turn the Wi-Fi off. That's basically what I do, and it works perfectly. Like Even That's if cool. I'm not even close to my house, it won't turn it on because the, the tower is close enough that it's, you know. If I could set up an implementation where I would automatically connect to one of my two VPNs, then I wouldn't care if my Wi-Fi was on. Okay, as long yeah. as if I wasn't connected to my home network, it automatically turned on. Right, yeah. but Leo, with what you're using, if, as long as Wi-Fi is on, the it'll it won't connect to the VPN, right? I mean, yeah, you can you can change that, but right, it, that's how it is, is right it now. Is the specific SSID that it recognizes, or is it just Wi-Fi in general? It's Wi-Fi in general, but like okay. I was saying, I think you can go in and specify SSIDs. But okay, for, see, for that's right now, where that's the important part, right? Yeah. There. So yeah. my my initial thought is that I'm not even going to bother connecting to anybody's Wi-Fi if I'm away from home. I'm just going to leave right. it on the the radio, the cell. Let that handle data, and the VPN will be on automatic. Well, there are time there are times when I would prefer to have a Wi-Fi connection if it's available. Well, yeah. Simply because Wi-Fi is going to be faster even than 4G. Right. But in that case, I, I, if I'm if I'm getting big files or using a lot of bandwidth, it's likely that I'm using my laptop and in that case, I mean, click on and we're good. Yeah. Anyway, so Joe, you're not on the Wi-Fi band or the the WireGuard bandwagon. Why? Why not? Well, I still haven't used it yet, but I do like the idea of it. Um, I've, I've had been waiting for an, an implementation to become a little bit more mainstream and for it to be added to things like my router. 
which I currently use for my local VPN. Oh, so, so uh, on that point, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm using Edge OS, so I have um, uh, what you, an Edge router, and it runs mm. Edge OS. And apparently, WireGuard has an implementation specifically for Edge OS. So if I wanted to, oh, cool. I could. I didn't have to. I don't have to run it on a uh, isolated VM. I could just run it on the router. But um, I like the um, the modularity of it of having a separate box for it. Right, but like my router is completely stock. I'm running an, an Asus, um, what what is it, um, one of the Nighthawk line or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And the reason okay. I'm keeping it completely stock is because they give me a DNS. Uh, okay. Yeah. So um, Mine does and, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I use that DNS. That's how I connect to everything at home, yep. and I don't have to worry about my uh, IP changing at the house uh, if Spectrum suddenly yep. decides to change things. Afraid.org. So, Let them do your dynamic DNS. Just you don't have to worry about it. You, you can change anything that you want. Afraid is independent of your router. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll look into that eventually. Yeah. Yes, you will. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't even know if there's like a, a version of Tomato or something like that that will, will run on my router and will have WireGuard built into it. Yeah. Now, granted, I could put it onto a PC and then have that be my gateway to everything else in my system, but um, it, that's a lot more setup than what I have now. Uh, I've kind of hit the easy button on that type of thing. So. If you can get uh, DD or OpenWRT on that box, it's it's native. Yeah, and OpenWRT runs on just about anything. So, yeah. yeah. And I do like OpenWRT because you can go in there and install the, your own packages. Yeah, that is nice. The only problem I had with w, uh, OpenWRT is sometimes it'll it'll say that it'll work on your router, but, like, the 5G won't work or the 2G won't work or something. It'll always be something, you know, yeah. if it's a very specific router. Um, The Tomato, OpenTomato or, or whatever that is, that project, that I've had way more success with as far as having everything work, but they broke. I don't know if they stopped it and then someone else picked it up or if they broke off and there's another um, sect of that now, but they, you have to find it. And I, I, I've been searching for the, uh, the newer version cause they have up to date, you know, everything. I think the old one was like 2018 now or something like that. So they're pretty old. If you, you know, go with the original um, one. Yeah. And I think tomato was a fork. Of OpenWRT at one point? Uh, yeah, but I think I you're right. I, yeah, that, it is. That sounds right to me. I used to be really into all that stuff, flashing the routers and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I used to love that stuff, and I just haven't had time. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do it quite a lot. I probably still have a box of routers somewhere that I had installed custom firmware on. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, the router I have right now, I doubt is ever going to get anything because it runs an x86 uh, processor, so... Uh. Probably wow, not okay. Anything. What cool. was that one, the, the WRT54G that basically everyone oh, had? Oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I have a box of those somewhere. And, oh, man, those things were useful forever with custom software on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I Until, used to you know, I used to teach with those. I would put DDWRT yeah. on them, and then we, we would do everything from, like, uh, <laughs> doing the little Wi-Fi, um, the roaming stuff, everything, man. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, that's was pretty awesome. Now, um, I do want to talk about why to use a VPN. Uh, the common misconception being that a VPN is only used to hide illegal activities and most <laughs> people don't need them. Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but the issue seems to persist e- even among our listeners who have, you know, asked 
for VPN uh, episodes again. Look, man, so, here, here's uh, the deal. Here's what people buy VPNs for. They want to watch Netflix from other countries. That's, that's the and answer. And that doesn't yeah. always work because um, Netflix blocks anything that they find out is a VPN. But so yeah. for that, it's better to get a friend in said country and uh, have them set up an instance of VPN and use that. Because yeah. then they're guaranteed to not be, you know, called yeah. a VPN and, and have their IP address blocked. Right. So, right. I mean, um, the, the things that we're talking about setting up or that I was talking about before, setting up open, open VPN, setting up WireGuard, if you were to do that on like a $5 a month, you know, VPS, then that would be effectively the same. But it's the, the thing yeah, about right. that is and that I, you would have to buy one in every country that you cared about. <laughs> yeah. And I think be a lot. Like, <laughs> Digital Ocean actually lets you pick which country your endpoint is in. Yeah. But and I that, mean, that's, that's kind of perfect. Five bucks a month. Could you like switch it on the fly? Like, let's say, nope. oh, I need to be in Argentina today. Let's nope. switch it. You wouldn't be able to. You'd yeah. have to. You'd have to kill your current VPS, uh, VPS and, and then spin, up a new spin it up again in the next. Co- yeah. I guess if you could do that with like an image or something that would be Yeah, but cool, that costs but extra. You can. If you yeah. want them yeah. to store the image to to spin up, that costs extra. <sighs> yeah. There's never an easy. <laughs> okay, but as, as to the why and it's not just for the illegal stuff, although it is helpful for that. Um <laughs> have you ever looked at your home network and searched for available network shares or used something like uh, Wireshark to see what computers are on a network? And there are also tools to see like what operating system each of those machines are running. Um, if you have, if you have them, then you can start to see why you might want to use something like a VPN on a public network. But that's just the easy stuff. You can also use a wiretap or Wireshark to see all the things that are going through a network, so everyone can see what is going all that traffic. Um, there. Are are also ways of using exploits at that point to gain access to your vice. So, by, by the way, uh, Joe, something that you do all the time, which is use a Bluetooth keyboard, can also be sniffed with Wireshark, which is why I yeah. refuse to ever True. buy one. Ever. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, that's, I, huh. I don't usually use Bluetooth keyboards anywhere other than home, and I'm actually kind of disappointed with the state of Bluetooth keyboards still. And it's not actually a problem with Bluetooth itself, or with the Linux implementation of Bluetooth, it's that all the motherboards of all these keyboards and the batteries that go along with them are not outputting enough power to maintain the Bluetooth connection. But that's a whole nother subject that I could just get lost in. So um, the main point that I was getting to on this section is that uh, there's this wonderful tool out there called Metasploit. With oh, um, yeah. with a lovely front end called Armitage, and I haven't used this in years. But you know, for a while there, I I, I was just tinkering around with it and trying stuff out. And it's basically Script Kitty Heaven. And, and if you can get on there and and get it running, and I, it's it's really easy to set up. But once you have it running, you can run through the tools, see everything that's on a network, including the operating system that it has. And then basically just try every single updated exploit to see what hack works against a specific machine. It's called Hail Mary. If it has a, there, there's a Hail Mary option in Armitage, <laughs> yeah. and that's literally what it does. It, it You tell it'll it what target, and it'll do, wow. even if it doesn't even apply to that box, it'll just try it anyway. The, the better way to do this, I think, is to use something, um, oh, what is it? 
uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it is, it's like, um, see, I had too many brain farts today, man. Uh, the anyways, vulnerability scanner, like, um, that's, yeah. that's what it, that's what it is, but I cannot remember. Well, you know what? You, that, you keep talking. Uh, I'll figure yeah. out what it is. Yeah. But anyways, encrypting your data with a VPN is a great way to block this. So if you're on a public network, use a VPN. Also, it's a, the reason people want to use uh, HTTPS is because that automatically encrypts it as well. So you have multiple layers of protection there. Um, and that's the simplest way to protect yourself on a public network. Uh, like all methods, it's not a perfect one, and it does pass the trust. And we've talked about passing the trust, and it just passes it off to someone else. But in general, it, it's one of the easiest ways to protect yourself. Um, a VPN is really an easy thing to set up on your home network, e either using tools built into your router or setting up one on a computer in your home. It is a little bit more difficult to set one up yourself, and I'm not going to dig too deep into that setup, but it gives you a couple of handy things. It encrypts your traffic while using it, and it will treat whatever device you are using as though it were connected to your home network, giving you access to all your network shares and even devices such as uh, uh, cameras. If you have IP cameras set up in your home, you'll be able to use them directly from whatever device is VPNed into your home system. Um, I do find paid for VPNs to be useful as well. There are some things I don't want my ISP to have access to. If I do a search on a medicine that my doctor and I are talking about, I don't want ads for it to appear all over my feed, for example. Um, granted, a paid VPN can also allow you to do the illegal stuff if you want and maybe get away with it, but you also need to be careful which VPN provider you choose. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah. not only uh, will a, they shut you down because one. they got the the takedown request the take or down, whatever. Yeah. I mean, they they may or may not uh, keep logs, and that's the biggest thing, right? They can say all they want that they don't keep logs, but did they prove it? When the FBI shows up with right. a warrant in hand, oh here, you might sir, find have out all the logs. They do yeah. keep logs? <laughs> okay, um, a, a paid for VPN provider can also be a good backup for when your home VPN is not available for whatever reason and you're out on public networks. But remember, it's just passing the trust to the end of the VPN line. Um, in the end, you have to trust someone or it's time to live like Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, I'm, but yeah, the whole passing the trust thing, you're either passing the trust to your ISP or you're passing the trust to the person at the end of the VPN line. Devil you know or, versus the devil you don't. Yeah, or you're using Onion and you're passing the trust to each and every single node in the uh, Onion router line. Right, but you know, I, I think I think the biggest thing about this though is that as we were talking about in the news section, there are so many little individual things that are trying to protect your privacy, and as you cobble these things together, you do WireGuard. You do encrypted DNS using Firefox. You do the email protection now with DuckDuckGo. You do the tracking protection that's built into almost every browser, except Google Chrome, because why would they do that? Um, you know, you, you have all of these bits slowly coalescing together into, and I'm not saying you're going to be anonymous on the internet. I'm saying you can private, you can be private on the internet. Yes, they're going to know that it's you that's uh, talking to this IP address, but that's all they get. And can they glean useful information out of that? 
Yes, but they will they will have a much harder time figuring out what you're doing every single day and using targeted ads to make sure that you see the Pepsi commercial. You know what I mean? Right. Like little by little, we are getting on the privacy side better and better and better and better. And that's well, why absolutely. I'm so excited about I mean, every single one of these silly things that DuckDuckGo does. Think about um, five or six years ago, maybe a little bit longer, but yeah, HTTPS was a thing, but not everybody was using it. And you weren't getting those warnings that said you were going to a non-HTTPS location. And now all the browsers have it built in to try and force you to go to HTTPS unless you specifically say otherwise. Exactly. So, yeah, the privacy is becoming more of a public concern, and it is being implemented more widely across the board for everyone. Yeah, the the I think the thing that um, is probably the thing that that was the death knell was that iOS came out with the uh, please ask app not to track. And I mean, that, that was the one that Facebook was threatening Apple that they were going to charge for their app because if they can't data mine oh, all your users. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- it, it is it is mainstream now. Apple deals right. with it. Google, to an extent, kind of deals with it. But that's 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 it. You can't stop this train anymore. Privacy is going to be one of the top line uh, advertisements for this product or that product or whatever. We keep your stuff yep. private. And that's that that's that's VPN. Uh, no matter which kind you use, is one link in that chain. Josh, do you use a VPN anywhere? Um, yeah, I use uh, Proton VPN. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I I use it to to connect. Um, just when I'm outside of my house and everything, I, I really don't use it while I'm here, for the most part. And I haven't got to set up WireGuard or, or OpenVPN. I will definitely do WireGuard if I do if I do anything on my servers. Um, but I, I, for the most part, I just use SSH and um, HTTPS for mm-hmm. everything as far as that goes to get into my system. So, so it's at least encrypted. Do you just like port forward that stuff out to the internet? Yeah, I just okay. basically port forward it. But I, I yeah, bleh. I change the ports so that it's not like going to be obvious. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, do I mean, all you can. That's just obscure uh, security by obscurity, but at least something. Yeah, yeah, an extra <laughs> step. And and that's that's pretty much what I'm doing is um, what I used to do. And then once I figured out OpenVPN, then PyVPN, and then WireGuard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, gotta, I just I, I just, have to. Yeah, well, you guys, I have you guys, to do this stuff. You guys know that I'm a big fan of uh, SSHFS. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mm-hmm. love that. And, that that is yeah. what I used to. I yep, forgot you got to mention me on that. that. Yeah, all my tablets that leave the house are set up to automatically connect to my home VPN as soon as they hit a network and automatically connect to the um, SSH FS. That's cool. As if they were on the local That's network. Really and nice. I know I've gone over that setup a couple of times mm-hmm. on a couple mm-hmm. of our different segments. Yeah. But yeah, that is a great implementation for it. You have a tablet, it only has 32 gigabytes of internal space or whatever, right. and it automatically connects to your home network and then automatically connects to all of your your server's hard drives as if they were local drives. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's that's one big reason why I can't wait for these Linux um, phones and tablets to, to start to roll out more and more powerful devices and, and more usable devices for every day because that's going to be really nice to have your security all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I, I just, well, not that, not that it's not secure for Android or iOS to do it as long as you're doing it with encryption, but it's, 
I don't know. It's just having Linux in your pocket Ooh. connecting to another Linux thing is just, I don't know. It seems to me that somebody it's better. <laughs> is going to be extremely happy when it comes time for the um, New Year's, um, you know, from the stuff we did last year. Uh-huh. Right. The predictions, since there will be a mainstream company selling a Linux device in the Stream Deck. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, there I don't me or not, but <laughs> I was just—I was just about to make a comment on the fact that you're still not going to see a lot of um, Linux handheld devices just because yeah. there's no mainstream demand for them. Mm-hmm. Right, and then it's like, well, there's a handheld device coming out in yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. I mean, it's not—it's not phone sides, so that's—that's that's the main reason why, like. Like, if it was a phone, like, I'm not saying, like, if it wasn't a gaming device at all and it was a phone, not by Steam, by someone else, I would probably would have pre-purchased it because it, well, it has good specs, and, you know, it would have been it, decent. If if it had cellular on it, then I could say you could install in something something like uh, Linphone and attach to right. that to um, your Google Voice number, and you would yeah. have a mobile Basically, phone, yeah. even if it is yeah. a large one. Right. No, that's, that's totally true. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah. As far as that goes, I, I have, I have high hopes for the uh, mobile Linux stuff. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, not I that too, subject. But <laughs> high hopes, but low expectations. There you go. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up and head down to vibration from the. emails and the first one is probably the most exciting one uh joe joe you jumped on this one real fast so we got this email in and i was like hey guys did you see this email it's about uh about a pine phone so jeff wrote in said uh just a quick note to let you know i have a pine phone that is new in box that i don't need uh he was offering it to us and said i just ask that you follow up on his performance and network usability as an added story on the show so no yeah, when you posted, um, what was it in Discord? Mm-hmm. It like popped up on my screen that oh, somebody was, less was giving than five away. Minutes. It was like a minute. Yeah, I as soon as it popped up on my screen, I saw the pop up come up down in the corner, and I logged into my email and I was typing back. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would be happy to you know do a follow up on the performance and network usability of this phone. Here's my address. Please send it to me. Yeah. But I, I I haven't heard anything back from the guy, so I don't know if he's had an opportunity to send it or what. I mean, if he really needs, I, I can send him the money for shipping or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, let me, let me put it this way, Jeff. If we end up with one of these, if we end up with this one, then we'll do you one better than a follow-up on its performance and network usability. Um, we'll just send it to each of the hosts and Let's we'll see. come back with a review Le- of the current state Leo thinks of the he's going to pry it from my cold dead hands. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I figure that's, that's going to be the best way to do it. That way you get a take from everybody. And you know, if, if Joe, if you want it back at the end of the thing, I'd, I'm fine with that. Oh, I yeah. don't really no, no, care. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with sending it around. I, to I would like to, I, I will want the opportunity to try out a couple of different operating yeah. systems on it if and, I get it. And I yeah. figure the way that we'll do it is, I mean, each of us gets a month or so with it. And then, you know, once we've kind of gassed out on that, then whoever wants it gets to have it. Yeah. I'll, I'll let y'all that, rock, that, paper, scissor for it. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. I mean, I, I, I really want to be able to 
test out what you can do on the command mm-hmm. line with yeah. a Linux phone. Oh, yeah. That would be super interesting yeah. to me. And That'd then Joe awesome. uses his uh, Bluetooth keyboard, and I use Wireshark to steal his passwords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff, even for the thought. If that's as far as it goes, thank Hold you on. for the thought. That's what? That's a heck of an assumption that I type my passwords. <laughs> ah, true, true. Copy and paste, huh? No, no, no. Autofill. Ah, uh, I got you. I got you. Okay. All right. So Liz T uh, sent us another email, said, uh, love your emulator segment. Sad, but a few years ago, my house was broken into and the Nintendo 64 and PS1 are no more along with a lot of other stuff. I have some stuff on my laptop, but, and um, so that, that's, that's the first little part of this. And when I was younger, I had something similar happen. Um, my Nintendo and my Super Nintendo. And all of the games were stolen. And that was one of the saddest days of my childhood, man. Uh, yeah, when that's I went bad. To, uh. no, I, I never had anything like that. Nobody break in or anything like that. Yeah. But when I went to basic training and then came back from basic training, I guess a, a bunch of my friends uh, had decided I didn't need a bunch of my stuff anymore. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> when my dad moved away from my childhood home, he left, you know, a whole bunch of stuff there. He still owns it. Mm. But um, evidently some people broke in then and uh. took off with a bunch more of my stuff. And at the time I was in Korea or something. So oh, it's not like, you know, I had a place for it somewhere right. else to take it. But yeah, man, that's uh, sad. Yeah. Well, yeah. sorry you lost your Nintendo and your PlayStation. I think some of us know your pain. And she goes on to say, and I reduced my multi-monitor, and I'm assuming this must be three or more, uh, she says, to just a primary and secondary arranged left to right. Now my left and right desktop panels go off screen, trying to match the larger secondary monitor. Mint Mate multi-monitor is really messed up. So uh, I don't think, that Joe and Josh, I don't use Mate, right? I do. Oh, you do? I don't oh, use... No, I- I use Mate on some systems, but none of my uh, multi-monitor systems. Uh, yeah, yeah so, me neither. I, I use Cinnamon on, on even on, on Manjaro that I'm on. I use Cinnamon. Yeah. So. yeah, and I'm pretty sure on Cinnamon it's fairly simple to get the um, the multi yeah. resolutions going. But yeah, I've never really done. I it on don't me. have different resolutions, so that's uh, nothing. I've never actually tried that. I have the same I've, resolution monitors. So. Well, like I, it's, I've it's, used multiple resolutions on multiple monitors because you know I will have multiple size monitors in mm-hmm. the past, and Cinnamon has never really had a problem with right. it. Right, because I I know when I go in there, I can see the displays where you can like ninety degree one and do the whole you know vertical monitor thing. Yeah, that's what I do. I have a vertical one. Right. On oh, one so, the, so the resolutions yeah, are technically have, like, different then set up. because you're, you're well, I guess. Technically, yeah, it would be yeah. different. Yeah, your it would width be is now your height, and now and your height is your width now. Yeah. So they they are technically different, right? But yeah, I don't have a problem with that. As far as that goes, I, I just turn it ninety degrees, whichever way I need to. It, it's never the same. I, I <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll go. I'll I'll, ch- I'll try three different distros, and I'll say clockwise or counterclockwise, and it'll always be different. So I have oh to try God. them all before. It, yeah. <laughs> it may also be a function of your TV. I've seen that before. Yeah. Where You know, I kept going in and messing around with the different um, X settings to try and get it to all fit in. Mm. And then um, that was just causing me a major headache every time I had to do uh, a fresh install. So what I did was I go 
in to my TV and switched it from um, what was it? I think scan to pixel to pixel oh, or yeah. something like that. Oh, I know what you're and talking about now. Yeah, that made everything fit on the screen right. just right, and I had no further problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah. definitely check the monitor or the settings on the monitor itself, oh, especially yeah. if yep. you're using something like a TV as a monitor. Right. Yeah, especially if it's. It, 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 Recent recent stuff doesn't do that anymore, as far as I know. But yeah, if it's like older, that's definitely a problem. That that well, yeah, if that it's a TV because of the different uh, yeah. But I'm just, saying the new TVs that you don't even have to do that anymore as okay, long as you got okay. it in HDMI. Yeah. But well, no, yeah, if it's my, an older my TVs one. are fairly new, and I still had that problem. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're I haven't yeah, had that problem in, Yeah, I, I haven't had that problem in probably like two years at least, and that's yeah, I've tried it in a couple, but yeah, I, I don't know. Could, there's so many manufacturers it could be yeah. different that way yeah well, as, mine's as long as the edid is reported those. correctly to the kernel then you're you should be okay but i mean yeah there's no right, telling yeah. what kind of weird issues you can run into all right well thanks uh thanks for the email liz um i don't think we can really help out a whole lot with that to be honest but uh i did find a link that may be um interesting to you so i'll uh i'll email that back to you soon Anyway, Brad, hey, good thing you're here, Josh, because um, while he's not going to talk about ZFS, he's probably going to talk about uh, a lot of BSD. <laughs> yeah, I haven't quite gotten into BSD yet, but I'm very interested in it. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I don't know if he's talking to us, because I don't think I've ever said no. BSD installations are hard, because I, I did... No, uh, as a matter of fact, I think I've said BSD installs weren't any harder than a Linux install. Yeah, because I did Hello System uh, about a month ago or so. And then once I figured yeah. out PKG, their package manager, I mean, everything was fine. So granted, it's probably been like eight, nine, 10 years since the last time I installed BSD, but even then mm. it was no harder than installing Linux. Right, right. Yeah. So anyway, so he writes in and says, uh, what is it with Linux podcasters saying that BSDs are hard to install? I had a similar discussion with another podcaster recently. First of all, there are three main BSDs, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, and NetBSD. So full disclosure, just about all of my experiences with FreeBSD, which is the main, I think, uh, and saying yeah. distro is weird because it's not really a distro, but no. I mean, FreeBSD is the main one that you would get uh, into anyway. Uh, anyway, he continues on. Having said that, think of FreeBSD in the same vein as Debian. There are a number of FreeBSD-based distros. Having installed both multiple times from scratch, I would say they are on par. It's more like Debian-like than Arch-like. And if you want an easier install, you should try something like GhostBSD, MidnightBSD, or NomadBSD. Those are likely easier GUI installs instead of uh, Curses installers, which is like the text-based, you know, up, down, left, right, fill out the lines and stuff. Um, anyway, he says, uh, the other thing is that they're both fairly rare to have to reinstall from scratch. Inline upgrades used to work for Debian and work well for free up, FreeBSD. I actually went a bit over 10 years between Nuke and Paves on vanilla Debian back in the day, and I'm up to four years-ish on vanilla FreeBSD. I say that to say this, BSD is not difficult to install, in my humble opinion, but I've been doing Unix and Linux admin for 26 years. FreeBSD is nowhere near like Arch. In fact, the PKG package manager more resembles the apt package manager in behavior. Uh, I also Hmm. want to say that at this point, um, installing Arch is nowhere near like installing Arch. Oh yeah, there's there's an installer now. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's an installer. Yeah. But you know what? FreeBSD, uh, actually, the BSDs do resemble Arch in a lot of ways because PKG is like Pac Man and then they have ports, Mm -hmm. which is like the AUR. So, I mean, so in in install, maybe it's more like Debian, but in in actual usage, 
it's a lot more like Arch than some BSD folks might want to admit. So anyway, either way, I mean, yeah, but it's pretty stable. It's not, it's not like it's not Arch in, in the way that like if you start installing all sorts of random packages that it's going to break. I've never heard that with FreeBSD, at least. Well, I think the deal, though, with BSD is that Linux finally got over their... Uh, the general consensus of Linux isn't for desktops. We got over that a few years ago, and now right. the desktop has really flourished. BSDs have not gotten over that. I mean, yes, right. there are distros that are focused on the desktop, but those distros in the main BSD forums tend to be shunned and made fun of a lot. Because yeah. BSDs aren't really targeted for the desktop, so right they Whoa. still have that animosity going on. They right. haven't gotten and, past and that. There isn't, there isn't really any BSD. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like like homegrown uh, um dish, uh, desktops for BSD. They usually use right. like GNOME or KDE or something like well, that. Well, that's another thing I wanted to mention about BSD is that after what I think it was five six years ago, they got um. Uh, an easy to install way to run Linux applications. Right. Yeah. Oh, that compatibility layer that, thing. You saw like all the desktops migrating over to BSD and, right. and making things a little bit easier. So yeah, it, it, as long as you can run Linux applications on BSD, it's perfectly usable. Well, I, I don't think it's, I mean, it's open source applications. It's not Linux applications. It's that they just compile it themselves using ports. So oh, it's okay. like the AUR. Okay. And, you know, right. that, that goes with absolutely everything. I mean, you were able to run GNOME before this compatibility layer thing. I don't even think that, that had anything to do with it um, because Plasma, well, before Plasma, KDE has been available on the BSDs for a very, very long time. Um, right. And Hello, yeah, Hello System, what I was testing around with, uses OpenBox, I think. So mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that's another one of those. Yeah, they were just talking about this um, on one of the podcasts I was listening to. I, it might have been the BSD podcast. Uh, I can't remember. But they were talking about how um, with the Linux desktops, it, there's some like little functions that you have to change in mm-hmm. there to get them to work correctly because they're, they're, they just don't translate <laughs> between yeah. Linux and BSD. Right. So that's the main, that was the main hurdle for that. That's why I'm pretty sure it's called the Lumia desktop. Yeah, or Lumina that's desktop. the BSD one, that right? That is a... Yeah, that's a BSD based. Like that's from BSD. He made it from scratch for BSD. Cool. Yeah, so, but um, but that's the thing, right? Like they had to bolt on stuff right. to make it work yeah. because it's not primarily, maybe one day, but it's not primarily a desktop dis uh, operating system. And yeah, there's, I mean, there's way more animosity around than than yeah. uh, it, it resembles Linux about eight to ten years ago, where you know people were like, why would you even run it on the desktop? That's silly. Um, right and but you know ubuntu existed but still it it still had that vibe and bsd is still yeah. fighting with that and i don't even know if they're fighting with it because i don't know that that's what they want but folks like bsds on their desktops so some people want it <laughs> anyway last up jack emailed right before the show said for the last couple of months i've been running my own instance of the seer x search which is a privacy privacy respecting hackable meta search engine for a quick look at CRX, try any of the online instances. They're at uh, CRX.space. And I didn't really get a chance to look uh, too far into this before we hit the um, hit the show. But yeah, look at that. So I guess they all, you just search stuff under Lumina Desktop. Let's see what happens. All right, cool. Sure enough. So uh, yeah, 
That's really cool. So that this reminds me of like the Fediverse or something, right? Like where there's all these different things, but they all use the same technology. And mm-hmm. I doubt they tie together. I don't know why they would, but uh, that's really cool. Anyway, so he uh, huh. he gives us some information from the uh, the CRX GitHub and uh, to answer a couple of those questions, right? How does CRX protect privacy? CRX protects the privacy of its users in multiple ways, regardless of the type of the instance, private or public. Removal of private data from search requests comes in three forms. Removal of private data from uh, from requests going to search services, not forwarding anything from a third-party service through search services, and removal of private data from requests going to the result pages. Um, anyway, uh, performance has been good, and I've had no problems. For me, search has replaced start page and the occasional DuckDuckGo. The best place to start <laughs> is uh, the GitHub page. So that is a pretty cool little project. I wouldn't mind running my own just just to, just to, why not, right? Hmm. Oh, wait, hold yeah, on. Yeah, this is kind of cool. How do you pronounce that? Sirx? Because it's not X, yeah. it's not X, it's not Sir X, it's whatever that Sakes. phonetic little thing is. Yeah, it's an upside down E, I don't know what that means. I don't either, I'd have to look that up. Wikipedia, help! <laughs> anyway, so we'll figure out how to pronounce this thing for the next episode, but um, yeah, take a look at that. And it's just interesting. It's just really cool. So I didn't know that you could run your own search engine, but you can. And you can be sure that uh, your, your your own search engine res- respects your own privacy. And that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, that'll do it for the feedback. And we'll head down to check this out. list of things okay uh most of it is just uh wireguard stuff coming off of my wireguard talk uh if you are setting up a wireguard server go get it for android there's just a click uh just a link right there if you're getting it for ios which is what i'm using uh click on that link right there and if you're using wireguard on like anything windows mac os linuxes all of the things everything i'm there free i saw free bsd in the list because we were talking about bsd um, so that means that it'll likely work on all the BSDs. So WireGuard is just everywhere. Um, if you're planning on spinning up a VPN of your own, just do WireGuard. And there are all the links to get started. So Anonymous Technophile added a uh, really cool project called Team Piped. Okay, so we just got done looking at uh, Cirx, I think. Maybe maybe that's how you pronounce that. Um, and it was the privacy-respecting search thing. This is the privacy-respecting YouTube search. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, basically what it is is just a YouTube search, but it doesn't send all the telemetry and craziness to YouTube. It, I assume it just uses the API and, you know, handles it from there. And you can watch all of the videos from within that web interface. So I assume that it's much like DuckDuckGo and that, you know, you can look up the videos, but the moment you start watching it on YouTube, there are there's telemetry baked into the video itself, so that will likely still be. I don't know if they. I mean, I don't imagine they just copy all the videos and serve them up to you. There's no way. But um, yeah, either way, uh, this is a really cool implementation of a YouTube search. So it kind of reminds me of uh, Pipe Pipewire. Is no, not Pipewire. What what do you use, Josh? A uh, new pipe. New pipe. That's it. So yeah, that's a whole like all-in-one thing where you just basically it's basically like the youtube app except for it just gets rid of all that tracking right well as much i think as much as it can i don't know if it can get rid of everything right but, uh, 
Yeah. No ads or anything like that either. That's nice. I suppose this is the web version of that. So really, really cool stuff, man. So uh, thank you, Anonymous Technophile. Can you yep. download with this website? Uh, I didn't see. I didn't see that. Uh, I know Newpipe can do that, but I don't. Yeah, that's know. the best function for me because if I need something for like, you know, a future whenever class I'm going to take or whatever, I'll just download the thing so I have it so I don't have to worry about uh, trying to find it again. Yep. And I noticed it says support for iOS here because uh, new pipe's not available. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that aren't available for iOS, but the fact that this yeah, is that's, that's definitely a, a, a hole that needs to be filled yeah. as far as that goes. Well, this is <laughs> this is the thing that fills that hole, so uh, I think this is going to be really really cool. Uh, anyway, so thanks again, uh, anonymous technophile. Appreciate that. And uh, Peter uh, added a terminal based markdown editor. So if you are looking for, I mean, that right. If you do a lot of Markdown and you would like a good editor within the terminal, Glow is, uh, looks to me, like a really good implementation. I know, right? I mean, the the fact that it's all color-coded, it's easy to get around, you can do, um, it's it's easy to uh, flip back and forth between editing mode and preview mode and all of that stuff. Yeah. It's just fantastic. So there's a lot of ways to get it. I mean, obviously, you can get it in macOS and Arch and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, But if you are not on the list, which looks like the Ubuntu's are not on the list at the moment, you'll need to compile it from source, which doesn't seem to me to be that difficult, to be honest. The three-command thing, just copy the thing, get in the directory, and go build. Easy yep. peasy. It is in the AUR. Yeah, I figured it would be. Always is. But um, soon enough, there'll be a PPA or something like that to get it over on the Ubuntu side. So really cool stuff. I'm going to give it a shot. I haven't done it yet, which uh, I, I meant to and did not get a chance to. But anyway, um, Joe, you got something. Yeah, um, I've been thinking about replacing the head unit in my vehicle. So I found this interesting video um, from, I think it was... It wasn't Tampa Tech. Hold on. It is Nova Spirit Tech. And talking about his uh, Raspberry Pi head unit that he put into his car with a little display. And um, this is after him using it for a month and talking about um, how it's working for him, boot up times, things you can do to improve boot up times, and the fact that it was able to take, you know, 140 degree temperature inside the vehicle without melting right so my, so, my truck doesn't have any of this um my yeah. my the bronco that i've got does but my truck is is dumb so this would be pretty cool <laughs> right and it's just you know a raspberry pi and a screen and then um he talks about the setup that he did to get it to automatically turn on mm-hmm. and the setup to um get it to shut down correctly instead of just killing power to it. right so yeah and it looks like yeah. he, he it looks like he powers it through the uh the um input output pins yeah yeah that's how he turns that's it on. cool and there's yeah. like it's not a battery it's like uh what um um a, i want to say transistor but i don't think that's the right word but it, it says just, something about a relay module yeah a relay module so it holds the power and it holds enough power for it to go through the like finish turning the key and yeah that's it really over. cool and then um it holds enough power so that when you turn the vehicle off it can do a graceful shutdown of the pie so that way you're not you know killing right. the micro sd card from just killing the power to it mm-hmm. that's smart yeah wow that's yeah. really cool 
Yeah, and it looks like a really cool build. I need to go in and find his other video on when he initially set it up and all the wiring and things like that and then decide if I want to do my own or just buy an Android head unit. And yeah, I mean, I think the he... cost would end up being very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does he tell you what um does he use Android for it or um well, he's using a Pi, so um I I'm pretty sure yeah, it looks like Android there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking cuz it looks yeah. like the Torque. Oh yeah, it's definitely Android. I can see yeah. I can see yeah. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's using the, using the Torque application for um to he's display using everything. The the version of Open Auto Pro. Oh, okay. So it's kind of the same. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I yeah, I use, that's really, I use Torque with Android. a Bluetooth OBD thing. Yeah. And that's fantastic, right. man. It gives you yeah. all kinds of stats. And I'm sure that, um, he has the exact same OBD setup for it. Yep. So That's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. And I do like that guy's videos. Sometimes he drones on a little bit, but... Sorry, no, I was going to say, you could do anything with a pie. Yeah, it's just about, <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah, and he said that um, even, you know, running the pie when it's super hot out in the middle of a heat wave, it didn't overheat and, like, turn off in the middle of a drive or anything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, because those head units get hot, man. Oh, right. yeah, they If do. you feel them, man, they get really hot. <laughs> it's essentially well, functioning the way a head unit should, should be, which yep. is awesome. Yep. And, and one of the nice things about it, even though it would end up costing you about the same by the time you got done paying for the screen... And the ancillary parts, and he's even talking about you know future builds and putting an an FM receiver USB into there. It is the expandability and the replaceability if something does right. go bad. So if your um, Raspberry Pi dies, which I doubt would be the first thing to die, but if that dies, you know that's what a thirty-five to eighty dollar fix, depending on which one you're using. Right. If the micro SD card dies. That's a pretty simple fix as long as you got the image available. Yeah, just copy um, everything. Make sure you have a copy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or at least a base copy. You know, the stuff mm-hmm. you add later on might not be that important, but that base OS copy so that you can just dump it on a micro SD card and yep. put it in there. But um, yeah, all the parts being user replaceable really adds to the longevity of the device. Yeah, for sure. But that's just, you know, something I find interesting. And you guys too, evidently. Oh yeah, man. I, well, I need yeah, one. Oh, yeah. I need something. Uh, I need Bluetooth, man. Is what I need. <laughs> I'd do all and, this stuff if I had time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you're running a four B, it's got Bluetooth built in. Mm, yeah. Or even a three B plus. Yep. I don't like the built-in um, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on the three B plus because yeah, it sucks. But. <laughs> You know, a couple of dollars, and you get yourself a couple of adapters from China. They take a little while to show up, but they'll work a lot better. Yeah. I'll just get a and four. Then, <laughs> yeah. Well, even the four, even the gonna... uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth isn't that great, and you're I mean, better off does, going with does an it external. Do, does it do five feet, and can it play MP3s? That's it. That's all I It'll care about. It'll do five feet for at least the first five minutes. Well, good. That's <laughs> first five about as long as I stay yeah. in the car anyway, man. But uh, all you need is, like, a USB hub. And you have direct access to ports then, and you can just toss on a new Bluetooth adapter and a new Wi-Fi adapter, and you're good to go. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for the show. So our announcements, of course, next episode 
2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on August 8, 2021. Come on in and tune in for that. Come join in, have a conversation with us while we're doing this whole thing. If you don't know what time that is, uh, we got a link in the show notes for you to get it converted to your time zone or just check out YouTube. It's got all that stuff figured out for you. And the live stream, which will be next Saturday. So that'll be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on July 31st. Uh, we got a time zone link for that one as well. Or again, just check out YouTube and you'll get all that information. I might try to do some soldering on that one. E, all right, cool. So uh, speaking of you, Joe, where can we find more of you outside of here? Well, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, uh, which is at uh, tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which you can find at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, or you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. Bo's not here this go-around, but you can get him at theundercastnetwork.com or the Undercast Collective, as well as uh, Crowbar Colonel Panic. He's uh, almost here today. Almost, almost. Uh, Tony Hughes also taking a break. You can get him at HPR, host ID 338, uh, Twitter at TonyH1212, TH at mintcast.org, distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com as well. And Josh, what about you? Uh, you can email me here at Josh, Josh on tech at mintcast.org. Um, and you can find me on pretty much all the other social, social sites at Josh on tech. Oh, and crowbar kernel pan. Can't forget that. CKP. I should put that in after, right after the mintcast thing. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll go find the link too. I need to, I need to make that blue. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yep. I, I was going to do it, but I keep forgetting. <laughs> and Mike, you can get him at Mike at mintcast.org or grouchy M on discord. As for me, leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter, uh, leo at c.im on Mastodon. You can listen to me more at linuxuserspace.show or buy me a coffee. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all of his work on the website. Hobstar for the logo. InitRD for the animated version on Discord. And Londoner for our time sync. Also, everybody that throws in links into Telegram, Discord, or any of the places uh, so that we can have news for you every single time. Bytemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Midcast. That's not too bad, considering I don't think any of us actually cared how long any of it went. We just went. <laughs> Later, Londoner. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>